Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. O Holy Spirit, we are asking that you would come and open up our hearts and our minds to understand wonderful things in your word and the spiritual realities that we need to grasp. We ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Well, today is uh, Trinity Sunday. Uh, It's another feast day in the church that we celebrate. Uh, The fact that we worship God as we know him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And very fittingly, it comes after the Feast of Pentecost, which if you were here last week, we celebrated that together. And that marks the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, on Pentecost. And we've been in this sermon series uh, called Spirit-Filled. And we've been studying, we've been discussing, we've been teaching on the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and the believers. And I contend that we need to keep teaching and to keep studying the Holy Spirit. Uh, Because, as I've been saying throughout the series, the Holy Spirit is the most neglected member or person of the Trinity. We give him the least attention. And so, especially on Trinity Sunday, we need to be thinking about how the Holy Spirit is a member and person of the Trinity. Uh, There's a parody of the Creed that goes, I believe in God the Father Almighty, I believe in Jesus Christ the Son, and I believe I'm confused about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how a lot, of, a lot of people feel, a lot of Christians feel about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and many Christians, they, they, when you ask them, they would say, yes, I believe in the triune God, I believe in the Trinity. Uh, but functionally, I think many of us, we operate as uh, Binitarians and not Trinitarians. So Trinitarian, the triune, where we have a triune faith, we believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit. But most of us are a lot more comfortable with the Father and the Son. And so functionally, we act as Binitarians, not Trinitarians. We believe we function in the two, not the three. You know, and I can, I can see why this happens. You know, the, we, get, we get the Father, we understand Jesus because we can read about him in the Gospels. But the Spirit definitely seems more mysterious. And so, but we have to ask the question is, why did Christianity become Trinitarian and not Binitarian? Why is there three and not two? There could have been just two, but there is three. There is the three and one. Why is that the case? And so the question I'm asking this morning is, why is the Holy Spirit considered a person of the Trinity? Why is the Holy Spirit a part of the triune God? And so today we're going to be zooming in on that question and on the third person of the Trinity. And I want to show you that the Holy Spirit is a distinct member uh, of the Trinity, distinct from the Father and the Son, yet he is one with them. And I believe the Spirit is worthy of our careful attention and our consideration this morning. So why is the Holy Spirit a person of the Trinity? Number one, the Holy Spirit does God's work. The Holy Spirit does God's work. You know, we get to know people by observing their actions, by what they do. Uh, The more you get to know somebody, you learn their unique style, the way they do things, uh, how they live. Now, I'm willing to bet probably a large sum of money that I could tell you whether it was Laura who loaded our dishwasher or somebody else. I'm willing to bet on that. I know how my wife loads the dishwasher. Have you ever had somebody else load your dishwasher? Gosh, you know it immediately. Why is there a bowl on the top rack? Bowls don't go on the top rack. They go on the bottom rack. Please. But, my, but Laura always puts the bowl on the top rack right across the middle section there. So when she loads it, man, I know. She loaded the dishwasher. Bowls go on the bottom rack, man. <laughs> but the point is, 
you can identify the person by their work. You can identify the person by the work that they do. And there are certain types of work that only God does. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus heals a, a paralyzed man. But before he heals the paralyzed man, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders begin wondering and thinking, how can this man forgive sins? Only God can do that. Only God can forgive sins. And they were exactly right. They were exactly right. They were seeing the work that somebody was doing and making the logical conclusion. And over time, the disciples learned who Jesus was by observing his work, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his casting out of demons, his dying and his rising again. And they were drawn to the conclusion that this person is not just merely a man. No, he is fully God. And in the same way, we look at what the Holy Spirit does and we can learn too that he is also God himself because he does the work of God. The Bible gives us a lot of information about the types of work and things that the Holy Spirit does. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. I'm going to share some facts and some lists with you this morning. And I've adapted a lot of this from a book called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Uh, probably one of the best scholars on the Holy Spirit uh, that I know of, and he's, I recommend that book to you highly. Uh, Gordon Fee is his name. But I want to show you this list of some things that the Holy Spirit does. So here's some work that the Holy Spirit does. He sanctifies us, means he makes us holy like God. He gives divine revelation. He helps us understand spiritual realities. He gives spiritual gifts to the church. He gives us the power to defeat sin. He gives us divine strength. He enables us to serve and love others, and he produces godly character within us. Otherwise, we know those as the fruits of the Spirit. See, the Scriptures attribute all kinds of amazing work to the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit identifies him with things only God can do. Only God can empower you to overcome sin in your life. Only God can transform you to be more like Jesus. Only God can give you the revelation to understand the spiritual realities that are in the Bible and in the world. And these are all things that are attributed to the work of the Spirit. But I would argue that the most important work that God does, at least maybe from our human perspective, is to accomplish our salvation. Because we need that greatly. And we know when you ask, how are you saved? People will say, yes, the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection but we often leave out that the Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation also. And this is what the scriptures say. And there's, many, there's other scriptures that say this, but I'm just going to give you one. Titus 3, verses 5 through 6. It says, He, God, saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In other words, the new birth, being born again, Becoming alive in Jesus Christ that happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, only God can save us. This is precisely why the church argued that, that Jesus has to be fully man and fully God. Because no matter how good a human being is, no matter how powerful, no matter how wise, there's nothing that another human being can do to save another human being. There's nothing you can do to save me. There's nothing I can do to save you. Only God can save us and redeem us. And this is what the Bible says the Holy Spirit does. So I would conclude that without the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, salvation is impossible. Because it's the work of the Spirit that produces salvation. 
He brought it about. And so we need to see the Holy Spirit involved in our redemption just as much as we do Christ and God the Father. And Gordon Fee, again, he gives a great definition of Paul's view of salvation, and he sums it up this way. He says, Salvation is God saving a people for his name through the redeeming work of Christ and the applying work of the Spirit. So in other words, the Holy Spirit applies what Jesus accomplished on the cross and resurrection. He makes it real in our hearts and in our lives so that you have a living faith, not just an intellectual belief, but it becomes alive and at home in your heart so that you truly follow Christ as Lord. That's the Holy Spirit's work. This is what he does. So we, we, it is, we have to say that we are saved by God the Father, yes, by Jesus Christ, but also we are saved by the Holy Spirit too. And so when we see that, we say, whoa, the Holy Spirit does the work of God. He is doing what God does. He must be also identified with God. So that is the first reason why we are Trinitarian, not Binitarian. We, we see that the Holy Spirit does the work of God. The second reason is that the Bible in the church, capital C Church, teach that the Holy Spirit is God. You see, and, uh, and what, I'm going to get into the church part later, but that, what I mean by that is that the, the church at large, the Orthodox faith for the last over 2,000 years, as it developed over time, has consistently taught this understanding. But for the early Christians in the Bible, this was just natural. This was just organic. This was just how they talked about God because this is how they experienced God. They, experienced, they knew God the Father. They experienced Jesus coming in the flesh and being raised to new life. And they experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives. And it made it real to them. And so Paul, when he talks about the Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, it's all just jumbled together with almost no explanation. Because this is just how they experienced it. And I want to, I want to give you a few examples. Here's, here's one. Paul just concludes uh, 2 Corinthians with this benediction. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There they are. And when Paul says God, he's referring to the Father. So there's God the Father, there's the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, all in one verse. And he says God's love has been made known to us with the grace that came through Jesus Christ on the cross. And we get to experience that reality in this type of fellowship. Or the Greek might be this participation, this partnership, this, this real experience with the Spirit, the personal presence of God in their lives. It wasn't just a belief. They had experienced the, pre, the, the presence of the Spirit with them. And so they just talked about this naturally. Here's another example. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. This is where Paul is teaching on the spiritual gifts. He says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, that is Jesus Christ. And there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So in other words, the Spirit empowers the gifts of the church. And there are these di different kinds of service are under the authority of the same Lord, that is Jesus. And in everything, it's the same God, one God. Just natural, it's just organic. One more example. This is from the scripture we read this morning. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, that's Jesus. One faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So one body of Christ, the church, made alive by one Holy Spirit, under one Lord, that is Christ. Yet Paul concludes it's one God, the Father, in all things. I love how Gordon Fee, again, sums this up. He says, Paul affirms 
He asserts and he presupposes the Trinity in every way. And those affirmations, that the one God known and experienced as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, each distinct from the other, and yet there's only one God, those affirmations are precisely the reason the later church took up the question of how. So they read in their scriptures, they had the experience, and they said, how does this make sense? Because Paul doesn't tell them. It's just what he, how he experienced God. So they, the church took up this question. And over the centuries, they began to develop language about how the triune God exists and works. And uh, one of the first explanations of this, not, well, not one of the first, but a little bit later, there was a, a council in Nicaea, a church council, in 381 A.D., where they came up with what we recite in our church sometimes is, is called the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, we're, again, we're focusing on the Holy Spirit, they, this is what they have to say. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. Let me break that down a little bit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord. That's a title that's given to God in the Old Testament, and it's also the title of the church referred to Jesus as. So they, they all have the same title, the one Lord. And he's also the giver of life. Who can give life? Only God. God is the author of life. God is the creator. God is the author of all life. And the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. And he proceeds, that means the Father and Son send the, send the Spirit. And with the Father and Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is worthy to receive our worship. He is worthy to receive our glory. And so they developed this language around the Spirit. And then a few centuries later, we have another creed called the Athanasian Creed. And this comes from the 6th century A.D. And this is how, uh, this is just a portion of it, but this is how uh, the church described how this works. We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. That is the mystery we are trying to explain this morning. And that is how the church has developed language to talk about this unity of the three, yet there is one God. And so for Christians, we've seen that the scriptures have taught and, and organically teach that there are three different distinctions in the Godhead, yet there is one God. And over time, the church has clarified its language in the creeds and how to communicate this divine reality. And so we must maintain that the Holy Spirit is God, very God, worthy to be worshipped and glorified. So that's the second reason. The third reason why that we are Trinitarian and not Binitarian is this. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit acts personally. Now, this word person, this, is, this comes from the Greek when they were coming up with the creeds, and uh, it's, it's really not the same idea that we have with person, because when I think person, I'm a separate person, and you know, Rita is a separate person, and Nathaniel is a separate person. We're all separate, and we're all, we're all different. But that's really not the concept that they had when they came up with this language, because there's the unity of the three persons. There's only one God, not three separate gods. So it's not a perfect word, but it's still an important word. And it's really important because some people, I think, they, they view the Holy Spirit as, as like the force in Star Wars. It's just, it's just this force in the universe. It's just this mysterious presence. And, and some Christians even refer to the Holy Spirit as an object. They say, it does this or it does that. 
And I want to tell you a story to explain why this is important. You know, my daughter Daisy is uh, two years old, and she's at the point right now where she is learning, she is developing language. And it's, it's really fun to see kind of the different sentences that she can say. And the other day she was saying, Daddy, pretzels, outside. She wanted me to take the pretzels outside. So we took the pretzels outside, we had some pretzels. Uh, but the other day we were, we were in the garage, and uh, we have a little bike carrier in the back of the bike where we like to take her for a bike ride. And she's trying to get into the bike carrier, and as she's getting into it, the bike loses its balance and, and, and falls. And don't worry, it's okay. She was, she was totally fine. The carrier kind of fell just a little bit on top of her and it maybe rubbed her leg a little bit. But I knew right away she was fine. But it freaked her out. So she started crying and she's crying and she's crying. So I, I, I pick her up and, and I, I give her a hug and I hold her and I say, Daisy, you, you, you fell down and the bike fell on top of you, but you're okay, you're going to be okay. And I gave her a little kiss and said, it's going to be okay. So after, after a little while, she, she calmed down, she stopped crying. And so I set her back down so she can go play. She immediately goes over to the bike in the bike carrier, and she crouches down to the bike, and she says, bike, you fell down. Okay. <laughs> and, and gives the bike a little kiss. She wants, she wants to make sure the bike was okay. She did exactly what I did. She said, bike, you fell down, but you're okay. And she gave the bike a kiss. <laughs> Hilarious, so cute, so wonderful. And as, as a father, I'm so glad that my little girl has, has that compassion, that type of compassion in her heart. That's, that's, that is wonderful. That's wonderful. But one day, I hope that Daisy will learn to not treat objects as persons. <laughs> that she'll have to grow in her understanding that objects are different than persons. And we use different language for people than we do for objects. And when it comes to us and the Holy Spirit, many Christians have the opposite problem. They treat a person like an object. They treat, the, they treat the Holy Spirit like an object, like a force, like an it. And it's time for us to grow up in our language that we use about the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to mature in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And I would encourage all of you to police your language around this, to rid yourself of using the word it to describe the Holy Spirit. Because that is totally inaccurate. He is a member of the triune God. He acts. He is a person of the Trinity. And so we have to clarify our language. And so we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person of the triune God and he personally acts. And I want to give you a few examples of how this is true in the scriptures. You know, after Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, he is doing amazing things in the church. And it's why other people have suggested titles for the book, new titles for the book of Acts, that it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because he is doing a great work. Others have called it the Gospel of the Holy Spirit because we see the work of the Spirit in that book. And there are many verbs, there are many actions that the Bible describes the Holy Spirit doing. And I, I'm going to give you one more list. And as we read this, I want you to ask yourself, does this describe an object or a person? Now here's, here's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit, he searches all things. He knows the mind of God. He gives life to those who believe. He cries out from within our, in our hearts. He leads us in the ways of God. He bears witness with our own spirits. He has desires that are in opposition to the flesh. He helps us in our weakness. He intercedes in our behalf. He strengthens believers. He is grieved by our sinfulness. 
He guides believers into the truth. He speaks to believers and he glorifies Jesus. Can an object do any of that? I don't think so. No, he personally acts. He speaks. He guides. He intercedes. And he searches. Jesus himself, when he was about to leave, he gave all these promises about the Holy Spirit who was going to come. And he said that we would have a personal connection with the Holy Spirit, a personal relationship with the Spirit. Look what he says in John 14, 17. He says, but you know him, that is the Spirit, for he lives with you and will be in you. As we talked about last week, you will be a temple of the living God because God's Spirit will reside in you and you will intimately know the Holy Spirit. God can't be closer to you than he already is right now. He's within you. He is in you. It isn't just God with us. It is God within us. He is closer than our very breath. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He's in us. So let me talk about a few application points for this morning. Number one, we need to cultivate a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, we often talk about a personal relationship with God, a personal relationship with Jesus, but I don't often hear people say, we need a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. But we do. We need to think about that and to develop that. Uh, and truthfully, because it's the Holy Spirit, He is the one who lives within us, and He is the one who brings the love of God into our hearts. As the Nicene Creed said, with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and He is glorified. And that means we can direct worship, we can direct prayer to the Spirit also. And I don't know about you, but I'm finding that I need a lot of guidance in my life. I need, I need a lot of wisdom for the decisions, for the things that I'm dealing with in my everyday life. And we all need that. And I'm finding myself praying more to the Holy Spirit, asking Him, will you do what the Scriptures promise that you will do? Will you speak to me? Will you guide me? Will you give me wisdom? Will you give me discernment? Will you help me with this thing I'm facing? We ask the Spirit to do that because that is the Spirit's job in our lives. For a lot of you, you, you need discernment also in the workplace, at home. Uh, maybe it's for somebody who you want to share Christ with, but you just don't know how to do it. Well, the Spirit's job is to help you, to give you the words to say. You don't have to worry about the words. You don't have to worry about the outcome because the Holy Spirit is with you and is in you and is helping you. And so ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. For those of you who stay at home or maybe you're retired, I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide your day. That it, it wouldn't just be your own agenda, but that the, you would ask the Spirit to say, God, what do you want to do through me today? What do you want to accomplish today? What do you want to do together? Have this personal relationship with the Spirit. This is the wonderful promise of God that we get to do this. It's a gift. And the second thing I would encourage you to do this morning is to embrace mystery and to pursue understanding. To embrace mystery and pursue understanding. For a long time, Christians have used this concept of mystery for different things that are really hard for us to understand. And when it comes to how God exists as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet continues to be just one God, it is wise to admit that these are divine mysteries beyond our human comprehension and understanding. In fact, the more I study, the more I read, the more I learn about God, the more that I go through life and gain experience, the more I'm learning how much I really don't know. And that includes God himself. And it's wise. And it's good to admit that we have human limitations and to accept the fact that God should be beyond our human comprehension. He should be beyond our total understanding. And so we must embrace that mystery. Yet, or however, 
God is a God who has chosen to reveal himself to us. He has spoken to us. He has come to us. He has given us his spirit. So we shouldn't only accept our limitations and just embrace mystery and say, well, you know, it's too hard to understand, so why bother? No, we should should strive to understand as much as we humanly possibly can. One definition of theology that that I heard from somebody once was, theology is faith seeking understanding. Faith seeking understanding. We have faith. It's not all figured out. But yet we are seeking to understand as much as we possibly can. We are to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the scriptures say. And the reality is there are probably many questions you have on this topic, on the Holy Spirit as we've been talking about, or many other topics. And the reality is we, we only gather to worship once a week. I'm only allowed to preach for 30 minutes. And if that's all you're relying on, it's not going to be enough. You've got to have more. You've got to have more than that because it won't be enough for you to seek the understanding that you need. And so there are many ways to do this, reading, podcasts, other preachers, other teachers. There's many ways you can do this. If you need book suggestions, come ask me or John Wilson. We'll be glad to point you in the right direction. Uh, But there are other resources out there because if this is all you're getting in one week, it's not going to be enough for your Christian life. It just won't be. It can't be. And so we can talk with other Christians, we can do our own research, and we can gather more knowledge. And so if you're really confused by the Trinity and by the Spirit and by all of this, it makes no sense to you, uh, don't make this sermon your only piece of information. Pursue some other understanding. And that goes for everything in the Christian life and in the church. We need to accept the responsibility that we are responsible personally for our own growth in the Christian life and our own understanding. So let me recap. The Christian faith is Trinitarian because... The Holy Spirit does God's work. He does the work of God. He accomplishes salvation for us. And he acts personally. He is a person of the Trinity. And the church and the scriptures teach that he is God himself. And so because of those realities, we must cultivate a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit through prayer, through listening, through worship. And we must embrace that mystery, yet pursue understanding. Friends, may God, the Holy Spirit, empower you to rise up, to go further in your Christian walk, and to be led by the Holy Spirit himself. Amen. Let's go to the Lord.